If you have your Bibles, please turn me to Numbers chapter 6. Good evening to everyone. It's good to be here. And uh, it's been a blessed Lord's Day so far. I'm sure you would agree with me, not just uh, being under the preaching of the Word, uh, but uh, singing and worshipping with the choir, and then even this evening with the way your team has led us. Nick, thank you so much uh, to, to you for that. This is a well-known passage. I'm sure we all know it. And it's one of the passages that ought to encourage us this evening. And I want us to read it. And I consider Numbers chapter 6, Aaron's blessing. Uh, Numbers 6 verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Only so far the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. I'm sure you would agree that one of the greatest things we need is to be encouraged. In this life, in the life we live, in the challenges we face, one of our greatest needs is to be encouraged. And we see this throughout the scriptures. We see in Deuteronomy 1.38 how Moses is called and commanded to encourage Joshua who has a bright future ahead of him but a dreadful or a, a mighty task ahead of him. We see in 1 Samuel 2, 23, 16, Jonathan encourages the disheartened David. In 2 Chronicles 32, 6 and 7, we see Hezekiah. He needs to encourage a fearful Jerusalem as the enemies are on the gate, as it were. Even in Acts 14, verse 21 to 22, Barnabas has to encourage the church as it goes through tribulation. In Romans 1.11, Paul longs to be with the Roman believers because he wants to encourage them. Or even Paul in Colossians 4.8 and Ephesians 6.21 sends Tychicus with this particular exhortation, this command, this job, to encourage the church. See, the Bible attests to the fact, to the reality that we often need encouragement. And, and you know this, don't you? Perhaps you're anxious about the future. Perhaps you're burdened by various worries in your life. Perhaps you're pressed down by trouble and affliction on every side. Perhaps you're fearful of death. Perhaps you're downcast and despairing. Perhaps you're just tired. Let's be honest, all of us at times need to be encouraged. And we know, don't we, how good it is to be encouraged. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you've been in difficulty in, in a situation that's trying. You've been discouraged. You've been disheartened. You've been downcast. And your heart is lifted up when someone says something or does something that, that encourages you, that comforts you, that, that gives you hope. I've often told people I've only felt one time in my ministry I've only had one moment where I wanted to give up and pursue a secular. It was a number of years ago, and I just had enough of it. It was just difficulty all around, burdens, and it was one lunch with a senior pastor for an hour that changed 
my perspective and, and by God's grace use that hour to reinvigorate me. See, the point I want to make is this. Often the difference between a person carrying on and a person giving up is a word of encouragement. And we need encouragement. That's why the scriptures regularly command us to encourage one another. You know the passages. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. And chapter 5, verse 11 and 14. And 1 Timothy 5, 1. And Hebrews 10, 25. And I can go on. See, we're called to encourage one another because we need encouragement. But, but the question we need to actually ask is, is how? How do we encourage one another? How can you and I encourage one another in difficulty? Well, one answer that the Bible gives is the Bible. Uh, consider what Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Or, or consider the psalmist. That's why the psalmist can say, Psalm 119, verse 28, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. May I suggest to you, the passage we re read this evening is meant to do just that. It's meant to strengthen us. It's meant to encourage us. That's something of the purpose behind this text. Uh, in number six, the people of Israel, uh, you need to understand where they are at. Uh, they've just been brought out of the land of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness for about a year now. They've received the law and they've already started breaking the law and, and, and disobeying God. And they're about to go into a, a perilous journey, a long, arduous journey. And on this journey, they will face various enemies that will come against them, seeking their life. They will endure hunger and thirst and sickness and strife. They will rebel against God and be judged and dwell in the desert for 40 more years. They'll eventually enter the promised land. And even there, it will be a full-on fight as they war against several nations. Make no mistake about it, the road ahead of Israel at this point is not easy and the temptation to give up is very, very strong. And so given all of this, what we see in our passage is God coming to his people to encourage them. See, God goes to Moses and tells Moses to tell Aaron and his sons that he will look upon them with favor, that he will bless them. So God goes through Moses, through Aaron, through the priesthood, and God wants his people to hear this. He wants them to know that he wants to bless them. Why? To encourage them. See, this benediction, as with all the benedictions, are a means of encouragement to us. And I believe God, through this passage, wants us to be encouraged by it. Now, if you had to summarize this particular passage in, in one sentence, if you had to summarize the message that God has for us in this particular benediction, uh, I think the one line would be this. God's heart is set upon blessing his people. God's heart is set upon blessing his people. That's what we see in this passage. God wants his people to know that his heart is set for their good. 
See, just as the sun naturally sets in the west, so too God's heart rests to, to bless his people, to encourage them, because he's a God of all comfort. He is a God who abounds with blessing. And what an encouragement this would have been and should be to God's people in general, that regardless of the trials, regardless of the difficulties that we will face as we journey in this world, God has set his heart upon his people. He's he set his blessings upon them. This is the nature of who our God is. He's the eternally blessed God who blesses his people. The question for you, however, this evening is, is do you believe that? When you think about God, do you think of him as a God who blesses his people, whose heart is geared and inclined to your good? Now, one of Satan's greatest tactics is making us question God's goodness. You saw this in the Garden of Eden where Satan uh, caused Adam and Eve to start questioning God's motives. Is he really good? And what this passage would want to tell us is that, yes, he is good. Yes, his heart is set upon his people to bless them. And so my encouragement for us this evening is let's look and be reminded of this God. Let's really believe this about our God as we face trials because our God's heart is indeed set upon his people to bless them. Now, now, to see where I get all of this and to see why I've summarized this passage in that one sentence, let's consider three things uh, in, in this particular passage. The first thing I want you to see is the heart of God in this particular benediction. We, we see verse 22 and 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. And, and so what we see here is that God of his own initiative desires to bless his people. This desire doesn't start with Moses. It doesn't start with Aaron. No, it flows graciously from God's heart. If our desires reveal the nature of our heart, then what we see here is a, a beautiful glimpse of God's heart, a, God that, a heart that, that beats with blessing, a heart that, that yearns to be good and do good to others. A heart which flows with abundant rivers of, of blessing to his people. Beloved Christian, this should be an encouragement to you. God is not some austere, difficult, fuddy-duddy. We know people like that. They're difficult to get along with. They, they're grumpy. Uh, they're difficult. They're harsh. They're cold. They're selfish. They discourage everyone else more than encourage. And that's not who our God is. Yeah, our God is one who is blessed, one who is good. And as we were reminded even this morning, who is good and does good. His goodness is over all that he has made, the Bible tells us. Now, to be sure, he is a God who is righteous and just and holy. He will by no means compromise his holy law. It is also a God of kindness, of grace and mercy. And let us be encouraged by this truth, a truth that Scripture repeats again and again and again. Our God is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Truly, He is a blessed and bountiful God. He Himself is good and He seeks our good. 
But, but notice in our text how this blessing of God is communicated to us or, or to the people back there. It comes through God's appointed mediators, through Aaron and the priesthood. Uh, based on Leviticus 9.22, many commentators suggest that the priest would, would uh, after they finished the sacrifices, after they atoned for the sins of the people, they would stand before the people, they would raise their hands, and they would proclaim this blessing over God's people. And it was through the priesthood that God revealed his heart. It's through the priesthood that he atoned for their sin. And it's through the priesthood that he declared his blessing for them. Now, beloved, is that not all a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has the Father not shown us his heart of love in the Lord Jesus Christ? In this is love, John tells us, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. How? And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To offer the sacrifice to pay for our sins. As the father also not said, his, said Jesus as the perfect and eternal high priest. Hebrews tells us the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing the office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever consequently He's able to say to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And has the Father not showered us with every spiritual blessing? The passage uh, uh, to us earlier, Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What we need to realize, beloved, is that this blessing isn't just for the nation of Israel. No, it is for true Israel. It is for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have Christ as their high priest. And what an encouragement that ought to be for you, dear believer. God's heart has been set upon you for your good. How do you know it? Look to the cross. Look to the prophet and the priest and the king that God has offered you, the Savior that he's provided by his own grace. When you need encouragement, when you are going through difficulties in trial, remember who your God is. Remember that he is a God whose heart's desire is to bless his people. That's the first thing I want you to see from this passage. The second thing I want you to see is uh, if God's heart is set upon blessing his people, let's look at the blessings. Let's look at the, the blessing of God in verse 24 and 26. It says there, the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, now this benediction is one of the most beautiful passages of, in all of scripture. In, in fact, you see its beauty even in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's quite interesting how it builds up and grows. In verse 24, we see that there are three words with 12 syllables and 15 consonants. But the very next verse uh, adds on to that. It becomes five words with 14 syllables and 20 consonants. And, and the next verse even becomes more. Verse 26, seven words, 16 syllables, 25 consonants. And the, and the point is, God's blessings abound. They're not stagnant. 
And you even see it in the synthetic parallelism that the writer uses, that the two lines add on top of each other. It says, the Lord bless you. That's the first slide. And then it adds another one and keeps you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's the first line. And then it adds to it. And be gracious to you and, and so on. See, this is a carefully, rhythmically, artistically constructed blessing. And it's meant to communicate to us that God's blessings abound. They're not stagnant, no. They are from the Lord who in and of himself is infinite and his blessings are infinite. They, they grow and expand and abound. This is a God who indeed blesses his people. You, you cannot get enough of this God. You cannot uh, empty him out of all that he is. But, but let's look particularly at the blessings that he offers. First, I want you to see the blessing of, of divine preservation, the first one. The Lord bless you and, and keep you, it proclaims. God, your promise is that he will keep his people even despite the harm and the dangers and the threats that they will endure. He will preserve his people through all these trials. Now, now I'll be honest, as I was thinking through this, I just realize how difficult that sometimes is to hear. Perhaps you're struggling here this evening and you would say, God hasn't blessed me because he's taken from me. He hasn't kept what's mine. He's, he's taken things from me. And what I think we need to realize is that God doesn't promise that he won't, that you, he doesn't promise that you won't lose many things in this life. But he does promise that he won't lose you. He won't let go of you. Although your body may suffer and die, he won't let, let go of you. He will keep you. See, the blessing here is that God stands toward his people as their keeper, as their guardian, as, as their protector. Isn't this a source of encouragement? It, it should be. I hope it is. Psalm, 20, uh, psalm 121 is one of the most encouraging psalms in all of Scripture. And, and the main point of that psalm is, is this point, that God is our keeper. Uh, consider it quickly. I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. See, that song beautifully illustrates this blessing that God promises to keep his people. Not keep them from harm, but to keep them even in that harm. That's the first blessing. Notice also, secondly, the blessing of, of divine uh, pity. The Lord, it says there, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That word gracious means to be merciful, to show kindness, to be moved with compassion, as older theologians would say, and to help my alliteration, to, be, to show pity. See, we see here that God, when his people are in need, in trouble, he has He's gracious, he's kind, he's, he's compassionate. 
We see a picture of this in, in Psalm 6 verse 3 where David says this, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Have you ever felt like that? That you're languishing, that your bones even seem like they're troubled? See, David finds himself in immense trouble, so much so that his body is aching with dread. And you know how he finds comfort? Look at verse 8 and 9. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. See, David could find comfort because he knew and has experienced the fact of God being his God who shows mercy and grace and pity and compassion. Moreover, the very description of, of God's face in this benediction uh, points us to God's gracious favor and care. Uh, this is something that I'm sure every parent would understand. We were at the joy and the blessing of going to walk with Christian friends from the church yesterday, and we were walking uh, in, in God's creation, and I won't mention and put them on the spot, um, but we were just walking, and Sophia was walking with and running behind us and running behind us, and your know, kids have to pick up everything, and there's a river and everything. But one thing I noticed is that all four of us were keeping our eyes on her, because all of us were parents. All of us have our eyes set on our kids for their good. And I think that's the point here. That's how God is. He, his eyes are, are geared towards his people to, to guard them, to, to, to care for them as a loving father. His face is turned to them for their good. His eyes are set upon them with grace. You see this evening in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord, however, is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Dear believer, take comfort in this. God's face is turned toward you with pity and grace and compassion. Thirdly, I want you to see the blessing of divine peace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is in fact the preeminent blessing. This is the crescendo of all God's blessing. As one commentator put it, this is the sum of all the good which God sets and prepares and establishes his people for. See, we need more than just protection from enemies. We need more for, than just pity in our trouble. Now, what we preeminently need is to be made whole. To be made complete and spiritually healthy and restored. And that's the peace that God promises here. And that's the chief blessing he gives. He will make us whole and complete. He will satisfy our aching and longing souls. He will give us rest in himself. And how does he do that? How does he give us this peace? Well, he gives us himself. Uh, Bernard of Claveau, one of the uh, theologians from the Middle Ages, said that the best gift God can give is himself. And, and realize that's what God does in these three blessings. The, the blessings of divine preservation and pity and, and peace flow from the gift of a God who is present with his people. 
You see this in the very language, the fact that he blesses, the fact that his face is turned to them, that his countenance upon them all point to the fact that he's with his people. And all these blessings flow from a God who is with them, who doesn't leave them or forsake them. Why do you think David prays in Psalm 51 verse 11, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me, why do you think he says in Psalm 16:11, "You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand pleasures for evermore." Why do you think he declares in Psalm 21:6, "For you make him the king, most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence." See, the blessings of God are tied with the presence of God in the midst of his people. And dear believer, dear Christian, is this not too an encouragement for you? Is your God not ever with you? The Father is over you. He's working out all things for your good so that he would preserve you to the end. The Son is for you because he intercedes daily for you, for you, for your peace, showing you pity and grace and kindness. Even the Spirit is within you, sanctifying you, filling your heart with God's love so that you would have peace. See, the Christian can be assured of this blessing because they serve a triune God who envelops his people. Dear beloved Christian, this is the blessing and encouragement that we should get from this. And the thing is, don't forget about it. I think that's what I wrestle with. We, we forget about it. We, we have such abounding blessing in our abounding triune God that we sometimes forget about it. So the first thing I want you to, the second thing I want you to see is the blessings of God that he gives his people, promises his people is to preserve them and have pity upon them and give them peace. But thirdly, if God's heart is set upon blessing his people, the question becomes, who are his people? Let's look lastly at the people of God. Who are the people of God? Well, you might say, well, it's pretty easy. It's Israel in this particular passage. But, but more is given to us, particularly to their identity. Look at verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Here we see uh, that the people of God are those who have the name of God put upon them. In fact, that's what makes Israel unique among the nations. They were a people set apart by the name of God. Deuteronomy 28, 9-10 says this, The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. As he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandment of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. See, God's people are those who are set apart by his name. They are his peculiar people, his treasured possession, his holy nation. And notice this isn't just something they announce with their words. It's something they, they declare with their lives. It's about living in accordance with his name, uh, where we believe and trust him, where we obey him and follow him. We worship him and adore him. 
You see a clue clue of this in Micah 4, 5. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk, that is live, obey, worship, walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The question obviously becomes for us, in whose God do you whose God in whose name do you walk? Whose name have you believed upon? Whose name have you identified with? And my point is this, beloved, these blessings that, that God so richly lavishes upon us, they belong to those who have identified with this God, who belong to him, who have been set apart by his name. The sad reality is the, the nation of Israel, not all of them truly were of Israel. Not all of them were truly under his name. I take the first generation for, as an example. They came out of Egypt. Although they were identified with the name, they did not walk in his name. They were disobedient, grumblers. They were stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and they were essentially unbelievers. And the result of that was they didn't enjoy God's blessing. But one by one, they picked off in the desert. Now, let's also realize that's all of us by nature. We haven't and we can't walk perfectly in the name of the Lord. If we try our best, we sin and we fall short and we fail. We need another. We need another who is able to walk before the Lord. We need another who is able to walk in the name of God in righteousness. We need Jesus. See, if you want to take all of God's blessings, you need to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 8 or Romans 10, verse 11 to 13. For the scripture say, says, everyone who believes in me will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you want the blessings of God? Do you want divine preservation and pity and peace? Then call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Identify with him who has identified with you on the cross. Realize that on the cross he was accursed so that you would receive blessing. On the cross he entered into darkness so that the face of God would shine upon you with favor. At the cross, he endured the wrath of God so that we would take hold of the peace of God. If you want the blessings of this God, then you need to believe in his son. You need to trust in him. You need to walk in his name. And what an encouragement it should be to us, dear believer, if you believed in the name of the son of God, if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have his name on you. Whose name were you baptized in? See, you have his name on you, and God has set his heart to bless you because you belong to him. You belong to him because you've believed upon his son. God has set his heart and his blessing on those who have been believed in his son. God's heart is geared towards blessing them. I heard of this... Um, I read this old article of some um, 
telephone company that wanted to start this, this service in England. Uh, and they called this the service MOR, and it was intended for, for mothers, stay-at-home moms. And, and the idea was that if the mom had a rough day, the kids were just out of hand, uh, the kids didn't want to listen, and, and the morale of the mother was low, um, they could phone this number, this MOR number, and their voice would respond and coo this and say to them, you're quite, quite beautiful, you know. Now that's a bit creepy, if my wife did that, I'd be quite upset. But the idea is that this service would offer some kind of encouragement to people. Well, in a similar non-creepy way, believers have a far greater service at their disposal. You have God's word that reminds you that you're quite, quite blessed, you know. Also, you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your high priest. He has accomplished your salvation at the cross of Calvary. He's been exalted from the grave, and he stands in heaven with his arms raised, as it were, pronouncing the Father's blessing upon you, promising to preserve you, promising to show pity and kindness and grace, promising to give you peace. How can we say that? Because we've been told three times this evening, Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. Given all of this, beloved, what an encouragement there is for us in this benediction. What spiritual strength for our sorrow in knowing that our God's heart is set upon blessing his people. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Let me close by reading you an old hymn that is based on this particular passage, and I trust this will be an encouragement to us. It says this, From God triune comes blessing eternal, Father, Son, Spirit are portion free. What gift of favor, what staying power, what wealth of grace Oh, what perfect peace. Eternal Father, source of each blessing, bestowed in Christ from heaven above, in your name keep us, with your hand hold us, from evil shield us safe in your love. Eternal Son, rose as the morning sun, God in the flesh brought glory and grace, be gracious to us, do shine upon us, grant us your presence, show us your face. Eternal Spirit, countenance lifting, dispensed into us as joy and peace. Your eyes assure us, your gaze approves us, your smiling visage our guarantee. Praise to you, Father, for your mighty care. Praise to you, Son, for your wondrous grace. Praise to you, Spirit, for your measureless peace. Blessing eternal, ours to embrace. The love of God and the grace of Christ Jesus, the fellowship of the Spirit divine, be with us all and be with us forever. Amen. Amen.